Coming up this evening on NTD Business. The European Union proposes a fifth round of sanctions in Moscow. Russian energy is included for the first time. Twitter adds Elon Musk to its board of directors just a day after he disclosed a significant stake in the company. China makes its biggest purchase of U.S. corn since May 2021. Why? Is a food crisis on the horizon? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. The U.S. is placing more financial pressure on Moscow. The Treasury Department says it's blocked the Russian government from using its dollar reserves to pay foreign bondholders. When the war first began, the U.S. froze the Russian central bank's U.S. dollar holdings in American banks. But the Treasury Department has been allowing Russia to use them to pay its debts. But not anymore, it seems. The Treasury spokesperson says they decided to cut off Moscow's access to the frozen funds. Moscow has a $500 million payment due on a foreign bond. It still has a 30-day grace period to make the payment before it goes down as default. It's unclear which investors will lose out if Russia indeed defaults. Russia's central second-largest bank, state-owned VTB, just paid a foreign debt in rubles. That's even though it should have been paid in dollars or euros. Russia now has limited access to its gold and foreign exchange reserves because of those Western sanctions. One of Russia's oligarchs gets hit as the U.S. seizes a superyacht. It's the Biden administration's first seizure, and they're not planning to give it back, calling it the spoils of a crime. The owner is Viktor Vekelsberg, one of Russia's richest men, who was actually born in Ukraine. Forbes estimates he's worth around $5.8 billion. His luxury yacht, called Tango, is 250 feet long, about the size of the Statue of Liberty, just short of it. It's worth about $90 million, according to the DOJ. And over in Europe, the European Union is proposing more sanctions. In fact, the fifth round so far, and this time for the first time, this round of sanctions involves Russian energy. In the Newsweek Quarter reports. We are proposing to take our sanctions a step further. The European Commission is proposing a fifth round of sanctions to cut even deeper into the Russian economy. And this round includes the first ever proposal to sanction Russian energy. We will impose an import ban on coal from Russia worth 4 billion euros per year. This will cut another important revenue source for Russia. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen says this is in response to what she calls Russia's atrocities. For the sanctions to go through, all 27 EU members have to approve. Russia's uh, exports of coal are a very small percentage of the budget that they uh, get from selling their, their hydrocarbons to uh, Europe. Isaac Orr is a policy fellow at the center of the American experiment. Orr says this move is mostly symbolic. Russia is going to be able to sell their uh, their coal to other countries. India and China have already shown a willingness to buy Russian energy at a discount um, because of the sanctions that Europe is putting on. Europe bought by far the most Russian coal in 2020. Not using Russian coal could cost them an extra $22 billion. But the United States and Australia can immediately replace 70% of all the coal currently coming from Russia. Europe's real problem is oil and gas. They have made themselves dependent on Russian natural gas. If natural gas gets cut off, Europe will suffer more. 
They'll suffer higher prices. They'll suffer energy shortages. Sterling Burnett is a senior fellow at the Heartland Institute. Burnett says Europe has no short-term solutions because of their energy policies. Faye Quarter, NTD News. In a move to secure natural gas supply, Germany has taken control of Russian gas giant Gazprom's subsidiary in Germany. Putin says it's taking things too far. The German chemical giant BASF said this would have to stop production if it only gets half of the natural gas supplies it needs. BASF produces various chemicals, including fertilizers used by farmers. And inflation, due to the war or other, other reasons, is hitting everyone, including small farmers who sell at farmers' markets. They're getting burned at both ends. Their costs are rising, but it's hard to pass those costs on to consumers. Farmers are competing with grocery stores, which sell vegetables at much cheaper. So we visited a Chicago farmer's market, which just kicked off its first day of its 2022 season. With Deshaun Marshall brings us the story. Farmers who sell at farmer's markets compete with grocery stores. While for in-season produce, they may be cheaper, other items could be more expensive. Shoppers don't mind because it's fresh and local. But with inflation, Farmers are struggling to strike a balance between sustaining their livelihood and setting a price that won't scare away shoppers. Alex Finn, who owns a cattle ranch in Michigan, faces two significant cost increases. We supplement the animals with non-GMO, also has gone up to the roof as 40% more, just the feed. And our butcher, our butchering costs also went up, that went 20% up, just in butchering costs. Butchering costs are primarily made up of the fuel cost for transporting live animals to a USDA butcher in Illinois. To recoup the higher fuel cost, Finn had to raise the price of her ground beef by $1 a pound from $10 in 2021 to $11. That's generally more expensive than similar products in grocery stores. Steve Freeman from Nichols Farm says the fuel cost increase hurts his farm the most, but they can't raise prices because of competition with grocery stores. It's very hard to raise it, you know, from our $3 a price pound to $4 a pound when, you know, if the grocery store goes up by 10%, it goes from, you know, 69 cents to 75 cents. So it's hard to raise that by very much. Renee Gelder, the owner of a fruit farm, was very lucky. She and her husband bought a full year of diesel at $3 per gallon in February when there was a big sale. But she's not so lucky with the packaging cost. She has to forego selling five-pound jars of honey because the price of the glass jar almost tripled. We have usually five-pound jars of honey up on the shelf. The jars went up $5.12 each, and I'm not sure if I want to pass it along to the consumer. It's important to keep reasonable prices at farmers' markets. Mandy Moody from Green City Market, the organizer of this market, says farmers' markets are vital to farmers' survival. When you come to the farmer's market, the farmer is earning 100% of that sale. And so it's really, really important to their livelihoods. So far, the farmers are keeping customers happy. And some items were sold out within a couple of hours. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And joining us to discuss food prices and food security is Brad Doyle, president of the American Soybean Association. Doyle's also an Arkansas farmer. Brad, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Is the food supply chain in trouble? We are, as soybean farmers, we are at planting time right now. Um, so to, to say that we are in a um, 
the low level of supply is, is pretty typical uh, because we're just starting to plant our crop. Uh, we'll plant for the next month, month and a half possibly. Harvest will not occur until September, October. So for now, we are in a good position for soybeans, which is primarily what I, what I grow. I also grow soybeans in rice or wheat as well. How about prices of fertilizers? And we've all heard about gas and diesel as well. So we started seeing fertilizer prices increase last fall. And, and we got concerned about it because we've made our decisions going into the end of the year on potentially what crops will grow on the farm. On my farm, it's going to be rice, soybeans, and wheat. And, and each of those require different, different types of fertilizers. So we, as a family farming operation, made the, the decision to purchase our fertilizer in December for fear that it was going to go up even higher. And, and, and we may not even get a hold of it. So right now we have it booked for this year. Do you feel this is one thing that is driving up the price of fertilizers, that people are trying to get their hands on it, or are there other reasons as well? Uh, Morocco and Russia, where we get a lot of the phosphorus from, there are some issues with uh, countervailing duties from the U.S. Um, so, yeah, that, that's probably part of it. And we have asked for some of those duties to be removed. But I think there's explained to us by the large fertilizer companies, there's many factors that have caused the price of fertilizer to go up. And one would be just worldwide demand going up. But overall, you're pretty confident about this year's crop. We are. We're, we're at the beginning of the most ideal planting time. So we had rain this morning that has delayed us a few more days. But I see us getting really active this week over the next two to three weeks. We get our highest yields we can plant in, in, in the month of April. So uh, for us, we're already in the 60s and 70 degrees. Uh, so it's time for us to go. That trend will continue uh, into later April and early May for more northern parts of the U.S. When you take into account all the inflation that you're experiencing in your costs, any idea how much you're going to have to increase prices by? You know, we as soybean farmers, rice farmers, we have no control over the, the end price that is determined by the world demand and supply. We will have lower profit margins this year due to the increased cost of not only fertilizer, but also the crop protection products that we that we use to, to uh, increase our yields. And, and then the trucking uh, to get our crop to market, the fuel costs is in, increased as well. Are you planning to sell mostly domestic this year or, or is America going to export as well? So uh, soybeans, which I'm the president of the American Soybean Association, our biggest market is export. So it, it is a tr we're tremendously reliant on foreign buyers, and, and we've built that that market for over many many years. So uh, we're strong uh, strong support of U.S. grown soybean worldwide because of our high quality and and reliability, and also we have a sustainable crop. So. I think that trend will continue high demand for U.S. soybeans in particular. Brad Doyle, American Soybean Association. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And China this week made the biggest purchase of U.S. corn since May 2021. Why now? And today's Don Ma has the details. 
Beijing bought about 1 million tons of U.S. corn, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I talked to Sam Hudson. He is with consulting firm Corn Belt Marketing. He says the Ukraine war could be affecting China's supply chain for corn. There's a lot of speculation that they are going to need to fill uh, some of this uh, supply and demand that we typically see out of the Black Sea region. Uh, with the Ukrainian ports shut down uh, currently, it's going to create a delay for countries like Egypt and a lot of countries around the world that would typically buy grain, including China. China is not known to be a major importer of corn. It produces more than 200 million tons, but only imports about 26 million tons. Hudson says it could also be possible that China is preemptively buying in case the U.S. has corn issues. The U.S. Department of Agriculture says American farmers are expected to plant less corn this year. A lot of people think that uh, with that low acreage number, China may be stepping in here uh, preemptively just in case we get into a weather problem this spring in order to fill some of those other needs that uh, they may not otherwise be able to, to get. Could this recent large purchase also signal that China is facing supply issues at home? They were advertising very high corn stocks for several years ago, uh, and a lot of those corn stocks went bad uh, in storage, and, and it turns out they don't have quite as much sitting around. So they've actually got a little, lot, quite a lot less on the books compared to what they even had last year. But there was a lot of rumors about floods there last year. You know, China wastes at least 38 million tons of grain every year. That's due to poor storage and transport methods and excessive processing. Other than food, corn in China is used for a number of things. It's used for livestock feed. China is expanding its pig herd. It's also used for industrials in general. But Hudson says the good news is that China's purchase won't affect American consumers. Don Ma, NTD News. The U.S. trade deficit remained close to a record high in February, although it dropped slightly from the month before. Commerce Department said today both imports and exports increased. We're exporting more industrial supplies and travel services. We're importing more crude oil. But car imports dropped due to the tight supply around the world. The total value of imports and exports is increasing, mainly because commodities are more expensive now. Adjusted for inflation, companies actually imported and exported less. They just paid higher prices. So joining us to discuss international trade is Fernando Campos. He's an Amazon seller, also the co-founder of Amazon strategy firm Marketplace Ops. Fernando, thanks for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me again. Fernando, maybe give us the scoop on the supply chains. Any improvements? Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, glimmers of hope and then it kind of slows down. I think, you know, overall, you know, this year has been, you know, naturally a very interesting year. Like, unfortunately, COVID cases are increasing a lot right now in China, spe- specifically in Shanghai, uh, which has closed a lot of roads, and then therefore that kind of leads to some delays. Uh, but then naturally, with like, the COVID cases increasing, uh, the port has like um, is still open, but obviously not at full capacity, and so. I think that's, you know, creating a lot of delays coming out of, you know, such a, like a major port like uh, Shanghai. Are they using this as an excuse to raise prices? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you're definitely seeing that, you know, from some manufacturers in terms of increasing prices, um, mostly due to like the, the raw materials and then also just like they're, um, because they're not able to produce as many units because of like the, the energy like uh, mandate, mandates. 
then yeah, like price per unit can, depending on your relationship with your manufacturer, can be increasing as well. And then for sure you're seeing that also in terms of like freight prices, obviously, since um, yeah, it, it's just there's more demand. Like yeah, consumers are, are really buying a lot of stuff still. And so yeah, overall, yeah, prices are going up for a lot of, uh, for a lot of brands. Are sellers, the sellers you help, are they getting frustrated with all of the challenges? You know, I, I think it really depends. Uh, we work with a, with a lot of brands that make their products in the U.S., and so then you do have you're still impacted for sure with like local tra domestic transportation here um, and your raw material costs going up. Um, but yeah, for those that are importing from China, yeah, I mean it can be pretty harsh where sometimes they're out of stock for 30, 60, 90 days depending on the product. Um, and so, yeah, it can definitely be very, very frustrating right now. What are your customers saying? Oh, man. Well, for customers, um, yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, the the normal consumer is seeing, like, slight price increases just naturally due to, like, inflation and these costs going up. And so, obviously, that's not ideal for anybody. Um, but I think, yeah, for the most part, as long as you're creating a great product, then, then people are understandable and are happy to pay for, for great products. Has it been stressful for you? Yeah, I, I would say yeah, it, it definitely can be stressful from, uh, from day to day. I think, you know, I think there is some kind of um, peace of mind, I guess, knowing that everybody's going through it is not a unique challenge. And so I think that the great businesses that have great margins will survive. And, um, and can kind of plan around this. And, and naturally, if you have like a strong balance sheet and you have cash, you can order earlier, prevent stockouts, things like that, um, ship more when freight prices are low, things like that, that kind of help. Fernando Campos, Marketplace Ops. And Wall Street's main indexes fell today, dragged down by tech stocks. The Dow fell 281 points, eight tenths of a percent. S&P 500 was down 58 points, one and three tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq down 328 points, two and three tenths of a percent today. And Elon Musk, he's joined Twitter's board of directors, comes just a day after the Tesla CEO disclosed a 9.2% stake in the social media company, worth about $3 billion. Filings show Musk will serve as a class two director with a term that expires in 2024. And under the arrangement, Musk will not own or control more than 14.9% of Twitter's shares. Twitter CEO said Musk is both a passionate believer and intense critic of the service. He added Musk will make the boardroom stronger in the long term. Musk has called Twitter a kind of public square. It's also criticized the company over free speech. Twitter has been accused of suppressing conservative viewpoints, allegations the company denies. Musk says if the company fails to adhere to the principles of free speech, this would undermine democracy. And touted as the biggest Bitcoin conference of the year, Bitcoin Miami is starting tomorrow at the Miami Beach Convention Center. It's where thousands of crypto enthusiasts will meet and talk about the future of digital currency. During the four-day event that ends on Saturday, hundreds of speakers will be making it to the stage, including famed Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary, psychologist and author Jordan Peterson, and tech billionaire Peter Thiel. 2021 was a big year for crypto as many investors first dipped their toes into digital assets. Now a new survey shows countries around the world that are quickly adopting crypto. So where does the U.S. stack up? Denise Phil Zoe has the story.
Nearly half, or 41% of crypto owners, first invested in digital assets in 2021. That's according to a new survey by U.S. crypto exchange Gemini. 2021 was a great year for cryptocurrencies because a lot of people uh, were still sitting at home uh, because of the pandemic. So this gave them a lot of you know, room for exploration. 20 countries were surveyed, with Brazil and Indonesia leading the pack. 41% of people in those countries owned crypto, compared to around just 20% of people in the U.S. and the U.K. owning crypto. So they are relying on cryptocurrencies to manage their funds. This means that they are their own banks. The biggest cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, hit an all-time high of $68,000 last November. Right now, it's trading around $46,000. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Let's tell the comes this evening. Amazon is lining up its satellite launches to beam broadband internet. It's taking on Elon Musk's Starlink. Commercial drone deliveries are taking off across the United States, with a handful of companies officially launching flying robots. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. The race for space internet is heating up. Amazon is ramping up its competition with Elon Musk's Starlink with a new project called Project Kuiper. Amazon says it's spending billions and has secured rocket launches to put satellites in the sky to beam internet to customers. It doesn't have any satellites in space yet. Elon Musk's SpaceX is ahead of the herd. Amazon is working with several firms, including Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin space company. Eventually, they want to put 3,000 satellites in low-Earth orbit. They're targeting households and businesses, as well as government agencies as customers. There are even more companies with their eyes on the sky. The commercial drone industry has been quietly taking shape. As delivery service firms explore a new method of transporting goods to their customers. Dinesha Marshall has more. Commercial drone delivery slowly entering the space of disruptive technology that has been changing the way we live. Wing, a unit of Google parent alphabet, is set to launch their commercial drones in the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area on April 7th. In 2019, they had the first commercial drone service delivery in the U.S. They had 100,000 deliveries in the first two and a half years, and just six months later reached a total of 200,000 deliveries. They're working with Walgreens to deliver health and wellness products from staged parking lots. They'll also be delivering ice cream from Bluebell Creameries, prescription pet medications from EasyVet, and first aid kits from Texas Health. There are a couple of advantages to using commercial drone delivery. Reducing traffic congestion and fewer car accidents. A study done at Virginia Tech estimated there would be 580 fewer car crashes per year in the average metro area. Reduced environmental pollution, reduced delivery times, and reduced transportation costs. But there are also a few things that have kept the industry to a slow growth since 2013. 
when Jeff Bezos released a demo video that hyped up the idea of a drone-filled future. Concerns like extremely regulated FAA airspace near airports and military bases. Drones must be autonomous to be cost-effective. People worry about their products being damaged or stolen in mid-flight. Cities with crowded populations and tall buildings like New York City won't even allow them except for governmental use. And spying concerns. Some people get nervous at the possibility of being recorded as a drone flies by. Those factors haven't stopped well-known corporations like Domino's, Uber, FedEx, DHL, and Walmart from investing in flying deliveries, with an anticipated compound annual growth rate of 12% from 2022 to 2027. The commercial drone delivery industry is just starting to take flight. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And Waffle House has a new addition to the menu, golf shoes. Obviously, they're known for waffles along with their tasty hash browns, but now the breakfast chain has shoes. Waffle House is a Georgia favorite, and thanks to a partnership with Adidas, it's celebrating another Georgia favorite. The 86th Masters Golf Tournament kicks off in Augusta this Thursday. Of course, that's when the shoes go on sale. You can see from the photos the off-white color, similar to waffle batter. There's even a waffle pattern along with three dark brown stripes on the side. That's a nod to the legendary waffles being cooked just right. It's also the Waffle House logo on the back. But if waffles aren't your thing, spicy chicken McNuggets are back at McDonald's for a limited time. You know, so today reports McDonald's is offering the item at about 6,900 locations in the United States. It's about half its U.S. locations. Spicy McNuggets first came out in September 2020. They're breaded with a tempura coating that's made up of cayenne and chili peppers. Comes after McDonald's also launched the limited return of its Szechuan sauce last week. The availability of the sauce varies by location while supplies last. Wendy's is also offering its own version of Spicy McNuggets, so you can tell us which you like best. That's the latest from the Entity Business Team and myself, Paul Graney. You can still catch Entity Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For Entity Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.